Welcome. Thanks you, thank you all for being here, worshiping with us today. My name is Chad Little. Um, so Pastor Scott is visiting uh, family and friends in Wisconsin this weekend. So yeah, keep him in your prayers as he visits his dad and, and uh, family and friends. Um, so I got to speak a month ago now. And so hopefully I didn't irrevocably harden anyone's hearts against the gospel. Then you're, most of you are back. I did leave us with a challenge, though, uh, last, last month, to be intentional in our relationship with God. And we talked about the concept that relationship with God takes both knowledge and experience. So we kind of left a, um, a challenge to, to be intentional about spiritual disciplines. And so I've, I've heard from some of you, and I appreciate the feedback, that some of you really have, have made a commitment to, to doing a spiritual discipline, spiritual practice regularly, and uh, it's so good to hear that. So I, uh, I had intended to uh, write the text every week, and I missed one week, so I, I didn't get it perfectly, but this helped me get back into that habit that I had wanted to, to get back into. So that was a good reminder for myself. Big Sky Christian Fellowship's slogan is to passionately follow Jesus together. So to do that, we kind of have to be intentionally to both follow Jesus and do that together. So I encourage you to keep that up. So today, we're in week three of our series looking at the book of Jonah. So we're going to be reading Jonah 3. Um, and let's jump right in and look at the text for today. So I'll read Jonah 3 to us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So I actually had an interesting reaction when I was asked to, to preach on uh, Jonah 3. Um, first of all, though, let, let me say how much I respect Pastor Scott for doing this every week. When I get to see now how much work uh, goes into preparing a message, it, it, I marvel that anybody does that on a regular basis. So I just, we take it so for granted, at least I, I do, that he brings God's word to us every week. So I appreciate that so much. So when Scott told me that we'd be in the middle of this Jonah series and um, asked if I'd preach on Jonah 3, honestly, I was actually a little disappointed. The Jonah 1, Jonah 2, and Jonah 4 seem to have all the drama. Right, they've got all the fun stuff. So, so I, I, I said, well, that's okay. I, I can figure something out. So I read Jonah 3, and I couldn't see anything to preach about. 
And so I read it a couple more times and still nothing. So I did exactly what my, that preaching class I had taken told us not to do. I went to YouTube and I watched somebody preach on Jonah 3. It was horrible. Within the first like two or three minutes, he had two points that I'd completely missed. And so I, I just stopped watching the sermon. I stopped. Right then, I thought of a fairly common scenario in our household. I, my wife asked me to get something out of the fridge. I go to the fridge, I look, it's not there. It, it's not there, I tell her. Right? She says, you have to look. So, so I look, and I'm like, it's, it's not there, we're, we're out, we're at it. She walks over, and you all know what happens, right? She, she reaches in, and it's right there. And that's what it was like watching that, that sermon on YouTube. There's, there's, there's messages galore in Jonah chapter 3, and I was just blind. And I, I think the, the point is, is that... We're, we're, when we don't think there's a message, we don't see it, right? Our, our perceptions uh, affect our reception. And so, so that's the way it was when I started preparing. So I took that, though, and, and I realized, go back to what I learned in my class. And he had said, go and just write as many observations and questions as you can. So I spent about an hour coming up with 73 observations for Jonah 3, right? So there are things in the refrigerator. It's fully stocked. I can do this. Once I finished my observations, I circled back and I looked more closely and noticed that in the translation I was reading, verse 2 and verse 3 both start with, so Jonah. And that's that next slide there. So I saw there's, there's repetition here. And I forgot I should be looking for repetition. So I put my repetition glasses on and began looking at what God had asked Jonah to do. So we see in verse 1... Um, that God tells Jonah to rise. Okay, did Jonah actually rise? So we saw, we see then that Jonah actually rose. And we're on to something. Did anybody else rise? A few verses later, we see that the king, when he heard the news, he rose. Good, there's repetition. I found a pattern. And so is there more? What did God, what did God tell Jonah to do? He told him to go. Did Jonah go? Yes, we see in verse 3 that Jonah actually went. And in verse 4, that he began to go. What about the king? Did the king go? There, we interestingly see, after he takes his robe off, puts on sackcloth, he sat. And so hang on to that. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a bit. So what, what else did God tell Jonah to do? He didn't just tell him to rise and go. He also told him to call out. God had a message that he wanted Jonah to deliver. We see in verse 4 that Jonah obeyed. He called out the message that God told him to and then the king, after he sat down, what did he do? He wrote a proclamation to the people, and in that proclamation, he pleads with his people to call out to God. So we see the pattern here. Rise, go, call out. We don't just find this pattern in this chapter. It turns out that the whole book of Jonah starts this way. If we turn back to the first chapter in Jonah, verse 2, it, God tells Jonah to rise, go, and call out. The fridge is full. I just didn't see it. Where I thought there wasn't even any content for a sermon, there was actually a complete sermon outline. This process really opened my eyes to how little I actually study the Bible. I read it. I listen to people who have learned from it and learn from them. I discuss it. But I don't study it. We should all be spending time studying God's Word. I haven't heard this taught very much in church, even though I grew up going to church. But this is... Uh, the, oh yeah, this, this is the primary way our God speak to, speaks to us. This is God's message to us. The Bible is a treasure chest that reveals who our God is. 
So the point in telling you my process here is to show you that I'm not that great at this stuff, but I'm willing to learn, and even though learning is a process and it requires work, it's so worth it. So, there's plenty of messages in Jonah 3, but I think this pattern of rise, go, and call out gives us a lot to think about and act on today. I don't think it's a stretch to say that God's telling us that he expects us to rise, go, and call out. So what does it mean for us to do that? What's the message that God has given you? Let's start with the first word here, rise. So if God's not just telling Jonah to rise, but he's telling us to rise, what does that mean? One way to think of this concept and understand it is direction, right? God has a certain direction for all of us. And God doesn't just ask us to go that direction. He actually lifts us up and he will point us in the right direction. Right? In Psalm 40, it says that God rescues us and redeems us and lifts us out of the miry pit. It's part of the human problem to have a tendency to get distracted and disoriented and begin sometimes even willingly to forget which way we were meant to go. But God has a direction for us. There is a way that seems right to man but in the end leads to death, we read in Proverbs. When you read the first chapter of Jonah, you'll see that Jonah definitely had this problem. Jonah, in response to God's invitation, he, he rises, but he doesn't go the right direction. He goes the opposite direction. In fact, in chapter 1, if you read carefully, you'll see he goes down to Joppa. He goes down into a boat. Then he goes down into the inner part of the ship. And then he goes down to go to sleep. And then in verse 12, he thinks he can solve the problem by having them throw throw them overboard so he can go down into the ocean, down into the depths, out of God's reach as far as he's, he's concerned. But God wants Jonah to rise, not go down. So even when he gets what he thinks is his final escape from God's call and goes down into the depths, God's not done with him. He wants him to rise. So what's the moment in the story that Jonah starts going in the right direction? You'll see that in Jonah 2.10, the moment Jonah first rises, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. He's going in the right direction now, right? (laughs) So when God tells Jonah a second time, arise, go, and call out, Jonah actually gets up and follows the path that God has set before him. He's ready to rise. I'm not sure what it means for you to rise in your life, But our God has a specific direction for you. God has a plan, and he's telling a story that he wants you to be part of. It may be difficult, but it will be the most fulfilling thing that you could ever do. And he will lift you up and set you free to rise to the challenge. So God told Jonah to rise, but he also told Jonah to go. This is a great time to point out the active nature of of faith. All of these things that God is asking Jonah to do are verbs. They're actions. We just finished reading James as a church last week. And the book of James uh, just teaches us that, well, James is adamant that a belief without action is dead, right? Faith is a verb. Jonah actually had to go to Nineveh. We are asked to go. Uh, Like Brad said, we, we serve a God who came to us. Right? I've heard a lot of people who criticize Christianity because they can't believe in a God who would stand by and watch all the pain and suffering in the world. And I understand what they're getting at. They, they wish God would stop violence, stop oppression, stop corruption. But to say that this God doesn't get involved, that's not what I see when I read the Bible. Our God came down. God with us. He actually came to live, live his life and then to die for us. God sacrificed himself to pay for our rebellion, our violence, our corruption, 
our selfishness. He set us free through his death and resurrection to show the world what his rule and reign looks like. His love, his mercy, his justice, his patience. That's not an inactive God. He shows us that faith is an action, and he commands us to go. In Matthew 28, he tells his followers, go, make disciples. This does not allow me to sit on the sidelines and do nothing, say nothing. So, I said we'd get back to the king's response to Jonah's message. He did rise, but we saw that when he, after he rose, he sat down. This sitting is definitely not sitting on the sidelines. This king and his people sat in re- humble recognition of the fact that they had been going the wrong direction. There are times in each of our lives, and maybe daily, when we need to sit before God in this kind of humility. I think it's easier than we think to go the wrong direction. If we just go, 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 and don't stop, the chance of us going the wrong direction, I think, just, it just escalates. And then we end up sending the wrong message by our actions. So before you go, sit quietly and commit yourself to God. Ask for wisdom. Ask for direction. Acknowledge that you might not have it all figured out. Sometimes we need to sit and acknowledge that there is a way we should have gone and that we haven't been going that way. Sitting in surrender to the God of the universe is a humbling but wonderful place to be. He's faithful and willing to forgive us, even when we've gone the wrong direction. So consider sitting before God today. But remember, sitting leads to going. There's a place for you. God has a direction and a place for you. After you sit, rise and go. We've looked at rising and we've looked at going, and so this brings us to the last idea, to call out. God gave Jonah a message. Jonah's message was that God would destroy Nineveh if they didn't change their ways. Once the king of Nineveh heard God's message from Jonah, he sent a message to all his people and told them to call out. They were sending a message to God, a message of repentance. What message has God given you? What are you telling your friends and family about your God? We're sending messages all the time. Both our words and our actions communicate something. Sometimes we can communicate exactly what we intend to, and other times we send a message that's completely unintentional. It's not always easy to know what message other people are getting from us. We send unintentional messages to the world around us by the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, by our attitudes, by just how we live our lives. So uh, back in the 1900s, when I was 16 years old, yeah, way, way back then, I was a skateboarder. And I lived in a small farming community in eastern Washington, and skateboarding was not held in high esteem there. But I, I wasn't a normal skateboarder. I was the nerdy homeschooled skateboarder, right? So I wanted skateboarding to have a better reputation. So I, I, I was responsible. I had a job. I worked at the golf course there, and, uh, and they, I was just starting to get into golf. And they, were, they would let me borrow the, the clubs there. I didn't have my own clubs yet. So one weekend, I wanted to play that early that next Saturday morning before the clubhouse was even open. So they, they let me borrow some clubs uh, the day before, to, to, so I had them when I, I got there the next morning. So I rode my skateboard down to the golf course and picked up the clubs. And as I was skating back, I passed by the Little League field. And all these parents and kids uh, were, were playing. And, and as I skated past, I felt, hey, I'm changing small town paradigms. I've got a golf bag, because golfers are sophisticated, right? They're not just your normal punk skateboarder. So I skated, and, and parents started looking. The noise of my skateboard, they looked over, and they watched for a 
long time, and I was, I was actually pretty proud, like, okay, I'm, cha I'm changing stereotypes. A couple blocks later, the, the golf bag was getting a little bit heavy, so I, I took it down and it shifted to my other shoulder, and that's when I noticed for the first time in bright yellow letters on the, on the golf bag, rental. <laughs> and I realized the message I'd been sending who steals rental golf clubs? Skateboarders, right? Right? I was sending the exact opposite message that I thought it was. Uh, so, are we sending opposite messages? That's something we need to think about. What's important to you? How do you live your life? How do you spend your time? That sends a message. We're steeped in a culture that subtly and expertly distracts us from the message that God wants us to share. I know I'm prone to spending too much time on things that are a complete distraction from God's message. So what message are you sending out, intentionally or unintentionally? Let's look again at Jonah's message. Two weeks ago, Scott pointed out how unimpressive Jonah's message was. It's so short, right? Eight words in English. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then he walks away. I believe it's actually only five words in Hebrew. My wife, she said it could be three words. Repent or die. Right? And actually her, her sermon would be better because it would actually tell him what to do. Jonah didn't even tell him to repent. Right? So what, would it, what did those eight words, how, how did those have the power to transform a city? What was special about that message? The answer is that God was working and that it was God's message. Since God was working and he had a specific message for a specific people, he made sure that those people were ready to respond to that message. The Holy Spirit had laid a foundation way before Jonah ever arrived. That's the only explanation for those kinds of results, and it's the only reason for any results that as we serve God. Have you noticed that for some reason God loves to use people? He wants to use people who obey him and rise and go, and people who will proclaim the message that he tells them to proclaim. What's the message that God has given you? In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he appeals to his audience in chapter 12 that each of them, and we too, should respond to God's call by giving ourselves fully to it. That we rise, go, and proclaim the message God has designed for us, and as we do it, he will transform us and renew our mind. He'll give us ways to know what his will is, what his message that he's given to each of us. Paul goes on to list the different ways each of us might understand and then communicate his message. That list includes prophets, helpers, teachers, encouragers, givers, and the merciful. And it shows us that each of us, we, we all see and experience God's message in a different way. It'll be tailored to your strengths and your design. You have a unique role in this world. God wants you to experience his life, his love, his mercy, and then he wants you to share that with others. So I'm not sure what the specific message is that God's given you, but it's there. If you don't know what your message is, consider the ways we see God working throughout the Bible. For example, God, our God is a God that frees people from slavery. Is that your message? Our God's a God that forgives sin and redeems us. Is that your story? Our God's a God that brings dead things back to life. Our God brings healing to pain and hurt. Our God finds the exiled and brings them home. Is that your experience? You have a message. It's there on the shelf in that metaphorical refrigerator. Sometimes you just need a friend or family to pull it out and prove it's there. You have a purpose. You have a message. 
So you can see how crazy it is that I approached Jonah 3 at the beginning of this process and didn't know what I was going to talk about. To mix my metaphors, the refrigerator is filled with messages. Let's close by looking at a wonderful truth in the first verse of Jonah 3 that Scott actually pointed out last week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Our God is a God of second chances. This is one of those points from that YouTube sermon the preacher pointed out right away that I hadn't seen. Our God, for some amazing reason, is patient and continues to prompt us. Our God won't stop reminding you and me that we have a mission, we have a message. God has told us to rise, go, and tell the message of his love and his redemption. Jesus has good news for this world. He isn't asking us to do anything he didn't do himself. Jesus, our God, died for us. Then he arose. Through Jesus' resurrection, we have been set free to rise and go and follow him and call out the message of hope and love and life that he teaches us. We mess up. To paraphrase Isaiah 53, we all, like Jonah, have gone astray. We all, like Jonah, have turned our own way. We've chosen to go the opposite direction. Yet God took on himself the mistakes, the sin, and the rebellion of us all. Jesus sets you and me free to rise. He sets us free to go. And he sets us free and chooses us to give us, to, and he chooses to give us a second chance to proclaim his message to the world. Uh, we'll end um, as the worship team comes up uh, with actually just this, this verse from Peter, First uh, Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness, darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much that you are a God of second chances. Thank you that, you that you lift us up and that you won't let us go the wrong direction, that you keep on keeping after us, God. I just ask that you'd soften all of our hearts, that we'd relent and that we'd um, rise and go and that we'd tell the message that you've given us, God. Open our eyes and ears to, to whatever that message is. Um, put the people in our path that you want to hear that message. But I just ask that as a church, we would boldly proclaim the message that you've given us, God. Thank you so much for being a God who sets us free and that um, has forgiven us, has redeemed us, and justified us, God. We love you so much, and we owe everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.